let's turn to Luke chapter 4 this morning. Uh, If you've been with us recently, you know we're walking through the book of Luke right now, verse by verse, and just seeing what can we learn about Jesus and what can we believe about him and how does that impact our lives as followers of Christ today. And so we're going to do that once again today from Luke chapter 4. If you need a Bible, uh, there are some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. Feel free to grab one of those and use that this morning uh, as we follow along. We're going to be in verses 31 through 44, finishing up chapter 4 this morning with three stories that speak to the authority of Jesus uh, and specifically his authority in just his words. And uh, it's going to be really powerful, I think, this morning for us as we look at this. So Luke 4, 31 through 44 is where we're diving in today. <clears throat> so there was, a, there was a new police officer in this small town. His name was Jake, and uh, he was, you know, gung-ho about his new position. And so he was going around town giving out as many citations as he could, just anything he could find to, like, you know, uh, exercise his position. And um, one day this car came speeding by him, and so he flipped on the sirens and the lights, and he pulls out and pulls them over. And right as they pull over, the driver of the car jumps out and, and comes rushing towards the police car, trying to explain to him the emergency that he was in that was causing him to be speeding. Uh, but Jake, you know, very uh, confident in his new position and feeling uh, threatened by this driver, immediately silenced him and cuffed him and threw him in the car and took him to the police station and, and booked him and wouldn't let him speak. Every time he tried to explain, he said, no, 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 don't talk. I don't want to hear anything from you, just insisting on his authority in that moment. And so he books him, he gets him in the cell, and feeling pretty good about himself at this point, and he says, you know, it's, it's lucky for you, boy, that uh, the chief is actually at his daughter's wedding right now, so when he gets back, he'll be in a pretty good mood, and so hopefully that'll go well for you. And uh, the prisoner responded, um, I don't think so, Barney. I'm the groom. And so uh, sometimes people think they have a little bit more authority in our lives than maybe they actually do. And um, But today we're going to see that that's not the case with Jesus, right? This is something that we need to know, to understand, to rest in, that Jesus speaks with authority over every aspect of my life. Jesus alone speaks with the authority over every single aspect of our lives. And he's going to show us that in multiple ways today as we look at this text. So go ahead and look at Luke chapter 4, verse 31. We'll start there. It says, He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So point number one is this. When Jesus speaks, evil is defeated. When Jesus speaks, evil is defeated. So the setting here, it says he went down to Capernaum, which is still in the region of Galilee, like we talked about last week, right? Specifically to the synagogue there in Capernaum. Now, interestingly enough, just not many years ago, archaeologists uncovered a synagogue in the city of Capernaum that dates back to this age, which is likely the one that we're talking about right now, which, again, points us back to the fact that Luke here is a historian, right? Like, he's telling us the history of what happens, and we're seeing more evidence of that even outside of the Bible as we learn and and find more. 
But here it says he goes to the synagogue and he's teaching on the Sabbath. So here's Jesus, again, back at church, right? He's back in there. He's teaching, specifically preaching God's word. And Luke's going to use this section of scripture as well as several other stories ahead to show us that this is the emphasis. This is the purpose of Jesus' coming to earth, of his ministry, was to preach the gospel. That's primary, all throughout the story. And it says that they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Now, that's true on two accounts. Okay, there's two reasons why his word possessed authority, and they recognized that. The first was that Jesus' teaching was original. See, during that day, the rabbis prided themselves on not teaching anything original. They would only teach what other rabbis in the past had already taught and recorded, and they would just repeat the teachings of past rabbis. They would not do anything of their own teaching. In other words, they were always speaking from someone else's authority. But Jesus was different. He didn't need to appeal to anyone else's teaching or interpretation or authority. He was the authority, right? And so when he taught with this original teaching, people were like, man, this is different. It would kind of be like the difference between like going to school and your teacher or your professor teaching you about the civil rights movement or reading you some speeches from the civil rights movement versus like sitting down with Martin Luther King Jr. and him teaching you about the civil rights movement, right? And him sharing the speeches. For, like that's different. Jesus was giving them an original teaching from God's word here, which is the second reason that it had authority. So Jesus' teaching was from God's word. He was using the scripture to teach them about the gospel, about himself. He wasn't primarily teaching from other men's interpretations or religious tradition. He taught them directly from God's word, and God's word itself has intrinsic power and authority when it's spoken. Romans 1.6 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is intrinsic power in the gospel, in the word of God, and when it is spoken, God moves through it to show his authority. Jesus was doing that. He taught with this dual authority. He astonished the people. They'd never heard anything like this before. And then it says in the synagogue, as he's teaching, that there was a man with a demon in church. Like, really? Like, that's a Sunday you wouldn't want to miss, right? Like, there's this guy, like, walking around low-key with a demon in the church. Like, that's crazy. But that happens right here. And, and evidently, the religious leaders, they didn't know, right, because... They wouldn't have let him in if they had known that he had a demon. Like, that's not the way they rolled. And so he's there incognito, and all of a sudden he cries out with a loud voice, it says, which seems kind of out of nowhere, like out of character. So, like, probably nobody knew that this guy had a demon. Like, they, he just was kind of, you know, he didn't announce that it was a demon. He just started talking to Jesus all of a sudden. They're like, this is just Joe. He just comes to church here and, like, just wild, right? What's going on? Like, just imagine right now if you're sitting here in church, and the person next to you has a demon in them right now. Some of y'all are looking around. Like, I could actually offer some names. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Is this for real? Are, does this really happen? Are, are demons real? That's an important question for us today, right? Because, like, in our culture today, Demons and other supernatural phenomenon are mostly dismissed by our culture. They're 
they're Hollywood aberrations that show up in movies, but they're not real. Right? In scientific, rational thought, we can't give any place to anything supernatural, anything beyond our realm that we don't understand, that we can't see, that we can't touch. But if you would go to other countries, even today, especially developing countries in the world, they would tell you they no doubt believe in the existence of demons and other spiritual beings, and that they have a big influence on the world. But what should we believe? Who's right? And as Christians, the real answer to that question should always be, what does the Bible say? Right? What's God's word say about it? That's what tells us what we should believe. So, are demons real? We're going in this morning. We're going all the way in, okay? Five biblical facts that we see in this story and beyond about demons in the Bible. Number one, Jesus had many encounters with demons. This is just the first one we're going to see in Luke. There's going to be many others, right? And so if, that, if they're not real, then that makes Jesus a liar and a fraud and a con man, which we know he's none of those things. And so therefore, they must be real, as in we're going to see in Luke, they are real and they are not to be played with. Okay? Secondly, we find out in this passage that they are unclean spirits. Right? It's interesting here that Luke calls that out. He calls them as the spirit of an unclean demon because he's differentiating from this other spirit he's been talking about a lot already, right? The Holy Spirit. He's like, not that one, a different one, an unclean spirit this time. Okay? And so, nonetheless, it's a real spirit but is different than the Holy Spirit and operates in the spiritual realm beyond our world, beyond our abilities, in an unclean or evil way. Thirdly, they are opposed to God and his people. Look at how the demon speaks to Jesus here. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? Right? So first, that language tells us that there are multiple Right? There's not just one, there are multiple demons, and they're working in concert against the things of God. And secondly, they know who Jesus is, and they know Jesus' mission is to destroy them and their evil works. 1 John 3.18 says this, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, that's Jesus, right? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Those works primarily being carried out by his followers, demons. Right? So the demons know why Jesus is there. That he's there to take them down because they're opposing God and opposing God's people. Number four, they know who Jesus is. It says here, they, he responds, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And many other demons will say similar things as we go throughout the gospel, right? That they know who Jesus is. Sometimes they actually knew better than anybody else did, right? Like the people are still like, who is this guy? And is he the Messiah? Or like, like they knew for sure. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even though many humans fail to see and believe who Jesus is, demons know exactly who he is and they are terrified. Because he has power and authority. Lastly, number five, they are subject to Jesus. Notice how Jesus responds. He says he rebuked him and he came out of him. This is, this is crazy. This is shocking. Jesus defeats 
this demon by simply speaking to him. Nothing else is required, right? No seance, no special spells or rituals or chants or other things. Like, there's nothing else he has to do. He just says, come out, and it's over. He just speaks, and he puts the demon on blast. All right, he's out. Other exorcists of the day, and exorcists like in our day that claim, claim to be exorcists, they had all these other rules, all these other things you got to do. You got to get this and that chant and get this special thing. And Jesus has none of that. All he had to do was speak. And notice what he says. He says, be silent. This is a really kind of an interesting tidbit here. Later on in verse 41, we haven't gotten there yet, but in verse 41, he's also gonna, it's going to say that he does not allow the demons to speak. Why is that? Lots of people have lots of different uh, suggestions as to why that is, but it actually tells us right in the scripture, if we're looking closely, in verse 41 it says, he did not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. You see, we're going to see as we go throughout the book of Luke, that Jesus is always in control. And he will not let anyone, especially demons, mess up God's plan. And at this point, he did not allow them to reveal his identity because it was not time yet for people to know who he fully was because that was going to lead to a whole stream of events that weren't ready to happen yet. And Jesus' authority is in control of all of it. So this hall happens in front of the church on Sunday morning, right? And it says they were all amazed. And here's, look at their question. It's so interesting. It says, what is this word? Right? Not who is this man or what is going on. What is this word? They're recognizing that the authority is coming from his speech. That he spoke with authority and power that the other religious leaders did not have. And his miraculous powers here will only further authenticate his preaching of the gospel as well. So it says, as a result, reports about him went out into every place. Right? They're like, this guy is different. <laughs> and so it starts, to, we're going to see over the next couple of chapters, it starts to draw a crowd of people who want to be around and know and, and connect with Jesus because they've heard these reports of this guy who speaks with authority over evil. We read stories like this, and it's, I think it's hard sometimes for us to kind of, like, step into this. And, and, and I, I, I'd say I've, I have personally have not had a lot of interaction with demonic forces in my life, okay? Um, and I don't think that most of us should. If we even look at the Bible, those who have those encounters, it's not like every day. If you're experiencing that every day, there's a bigger thing we need to deal with, okay? Like, these should be odd. These should be out of the ordinary, but they do happen. I'll give you one example from our family, Okay? At the time we were living in Indiana, I was serving in my first full-time ministry position, very young in pastoral ministry. Um, Eliana, our oldest daughter, was about a year old, and we had just moved into our first, not our first house, but we just moved into a new house there in uh, Indiana, and we noticed that all of a sudden she was starting to wake up in the middle of the night with just like these terrible nightmares, and, and it was really odd for her. She never had that before. And we knew that, like, you know, kids go through stages at times, and sometimes that'll happen, and it eventually goes away and that kind of thing. So we didn't think too much about it, but it just kept going, and it just kept getting worse. And you could just tell, like, there was a fear in her 
that was, wasn't normal. Right? It was more than the typical thing. And we also started noticing just kind of around the house that, like, a lot of things were broken and things were tore up. And there was just a lot. Of, you could tell there had been a lot of conflict, a lot of issues in the house with the previous owners, with the previous family. And so we just started questioning, like, is there some spiritual being or spiritual force still in the house that is attacking Eliana at night when she sleeps? And so we just started praying. Like, Lord... If there's something here, if there's something going on, will you please remove that? We would literally put her to bed. We would stand outside her room, put our hands on her doorpost, and just pray over her, pray over her room, pray over the house, just ask the Lord to just get rid of whatever this was. And almost immediately, it all went away. And she stopped having nightmares. She stopped having any problems. Now, some of y'all are, like, super freaked out right now. I get it, right? This, this isn't normal stuff. We don't know what to do with that. But here's what I do know. I know what the Bible says, and I know what our experience is, and it lines up. But here's the key. Jesus has the power to defeat evil in my life. I do not have that power. We did not say anything special. We did not do anything special to deal with that situation. We prayed, and we asked Jesus, who has the power to defeat what we could not defeat. That is a big difference. Evil is real, and so we need to know how we should respond to it, and the answer is prayer. Asking Jesus to move in authority and power. Jesus never taught us to do anything else. In scripture when it comes to dealing with spiritual beings. No seances, no scripted prayers, no secret rituals, no speaking directly to the spirits. None of that is found in scripture. In fact, there was one scene in Mark chapter 9 where his own disciples could not cast out this demon from the little boy. And remember what Jesus said to them? In verse 29, he said, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Because it's not my power, it's Jesus' power. There's another story in Acts 19 where, where the sons of Sceva were, they were Jewish exorcists, for whatever that is. And at one point they tried to use Jesus' name to get rid of this evil spirit, to cast out this evil spirit. But as they said it, instead of the spirit responding to that authority, so, so, so to speak, it actually says, the scripture says that it leapt on them and it mastered them and it overpowered them because it wasn't their power. It was Jesus' power. And they were trying to use it as their own and it doesn't work that way. And as all the other people saw what happened, it caused them all to turn away from the magic arts and turn away from all these other spiritual things and to trust that only Jesus has the power to deliver us from evil. It's always his word. His power, not mine. I just have to pray for him to move in power and authority. Okay? So that's the first thing we see in this story. But let's go to the next section. Go to verse 38. It says, And he arose and he left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. 
Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. Number two, when Jesus speaks, illness is defeated. I'm sorry, dismissed. When Jesus speaks, illness is dismissed. So it says he leaves the synagogue after that whole thing, and he goes to Simon's house. Now, Simon here is Simon Peter, who's going to be one of the 12 disciples in the coming chapters, right? But right here, it sounds like that his mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. And when we look at the Greek there, the words for high fever seem to be like a specific medical diagnosis, right? Which would make sense, because Luke was a doctor, and so he's given us like some really specific detail here, that like she was in rough shape, right? Like, possibly even critical condition at this point. And so they appealed to him, they appealed to Jesus for help, understanding that this was crucial, right? Like they couldn't fix this, but he could. And this is, under, this is, this is so important for us to understand when it comes to Jesus's power in dealing with things like this, is that it starts with our faith that he can and that he will. And we ask him for help. So they asked for his help, and he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever. Notice again, no touch, no special treatment. He didn't tell them to do anything or mix anything. or He just spoke, and the fever was lifted, which is a super powerful illustration of Jesus' complete authority over creation. Over every part of creation, he is in charge. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says this, For by him, Jesus... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus has authority over every aspect of creation, including our bodies and including any illness that comes upon us. And so we spoke, and it says the fever left her immediately, and she rose and began to serve them. Now that language right there leaves no room for doubt, right? Like this was a miraculous, instantaneous, 100% healing. I mean, just the fact that she can immediately pop up and start playing hostess is proof that this was a miracle. Like, have you had a high fever recently? Like, there's been a lot of sickness going around, right? Like we had a bug go through our house a little week or so ago. Courtney, all three girls had fevers for like five plus days. Some of them high fevers. But even after the fever was gone, they were still like zombies, Right, like there's low energy, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. Like, like I got hit by a truck. Not, not Peter's mother-in-law, right? She pops right up. She's a hundred immediately. She's just in it. The authority and power of Jesus over illness is obvious. So he heals the mother-in-law, and then look at this. It says, "When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick brought them to him." Now, this is a curious statement if you don't understand the context of the Jewish religion here. Remember, this all is happening on what day? Sabbath, right? And so they had heard about this guy who was in Capernaum, and he's healing people, and he's casting out demons, and he's got all this power, but they couldn't go to him, they couldn't travel to him, they couldn't carry sick people to him on the Sabbath because that would be work, and that would be violating the law. So they had to wait until sundown because that's when Sabbath ends. 
So then they all, like this crowd just starts rushing to Jesus at the end of the night. Now remember, Jesus here, he's had a long day, right? He's been teaching, preaching, he's been casting out demons, he's been healing people. Like the guy is probably tired, he's ready to call it a night. And then just swarms of people show up asking for healing. And notice what he does here. It says he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now, this is really curious, right? Because the last two times, he hasn't had to touch anybody. He's just spoke, and it's happened, right? And certainly with his authority and his power, he could have just, like, spoken over the whole crowd, like, all right, everybody, healed. Go home, right? And been done for the night and went to bed. Like, Bruce Almighty, remember that movie? He's just like, yes to all, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Why did he stop and touch each one as he healed them? Jesus takes time here to show his personal care and love for each and every person. He wanted them to know, hey, this isn't just a gimmick. This isn't something I'm just doing for attention or to make a transaction here. I see you. I love you. I want to help you. And so I just want to say to you this one, like, the same is true for you today. I know some of you right now are struggling with some illnesses in your life. And you're suffering and you're struggling. You're asking Jesus for help. You're asking Jesus for healing. And I just want you to know he knows and he sees you and he loves you and he wants to help you. He's going to touch you personally through this experience. And so he touches each one and he heals them. He heals them all. He performs all of these healings to demonstrate his power, his authority, so that it empowers the message that he came to bring. Right? It's all to bring power and to bring credibility to the gospel message that he preaches. The main purpose that Jesus healed and did miracles was to bring glory to the Father and to bring a hearing to the gospel. And yet, he also got to love and care for and help all these people physically. And that's great. But he was much more concerned about helping them spiritually. I think oftentimes, again, today, we can look at passages like this, and we can say, like, that's awesome. Why doesn't Jesus do that today? Right? Why doesn't he just heal all of us today? Like, no more cancer, no more diabetes, no more Alzheimer's, no more, like, just, just heal all of it. Why not? Well, if we look closely, Jesus actually does heal like this today. See, he healed all of these people from their illness in that moment. It doesn't say that he healed them from everything forever. Eventually, they would get sick again. Eventually, their bodies would die. You see, Jesus, when he heals, he always does it for a purpose. And the purpose is to bring glory to himself and to point us back to the gospel 
that he brings, the good news. But oftentimes, sometimes he heals, and sometimes he doesn't. But every time he does it so that we can grow spiritually through that illness. Sometimes we need to grow in faith with the Lord. Sometimes we need to grow in trust, in hope, in empathy, in perseverance. And God uses these things in our lives to grow us closer to him because he is more concerned about you spiritually than he is about you physically. And that's not a mean thing. He knows your soul is going to last for eternity where this body is only going to last for a handful of years. He's going after the thing that's more important. But he always uses illness, whether it's through healing or through suffering, to point us back to himself. And that's what he's doing here. Interestingly, though, as he heals all these people, it says, and some demons also came out of many. And we need to really nuance this statement because Jesus, or sorry, Luke nuances it here for us, right? He says demons came out of many, not all. So he's, he's making both a connection and a distinction between sickness and demonic influence, right? The two can be connected, but that's not always the case. Some illness in our lives today, some illness in the world today, is the result of demonic influence in our lives, but other times it's just due to the fact that the world is broken, and our bodies are broken, and sin ravages our bodies. It can be one or both. And so in this situation, as Jesus heals them, some are also delivered from demonic influence and related illnesses, while others are just physically healed. And the same is true today. And this is really important for our, our understanding of illness as Christians, right? Both for ourselves and for others, that some illness today is simply physical. That's all it is. But there is some illness that is spiritual. Some physical illnesses and some mental illnesses in our world today are the result of sin. Our sin or someone else's sin against us that has allowed spiritual attack on our hearts and our minds. And when we try to treat a spiritual illness with only physical means, physical treatments, it will never be resolved. We have to get deeper. First, we have to address the underlying spiritual issues and get healing there. And then physical treatments can help get healing on the physical side as well. But it's got to be both. But here's the really great news. Jesus heals from both. Jesus can spiritually heal you. He can physically heal you. He can do all of it together if it's necessary. I know some of you have heard my father's story and testimony before, but others maybe haven't. Um, my dad, he, he grew up in an abusive home, abusive alcoholic home. And um, at a very young age, he himself started using and abusing alcohol and drugs. Um, by high school, he was already moved out and living by himself, supporting himself by selling drugs at that point uh, in the city. He was deep in a life of sin and addiction. 
And that went on for several years until one of his friends, um, actually after she overdosed, ended up getting saved. And she started witnessing to him, and she started challenging him to go to church, and, and he didn't want to go, and so eventually they made a bet. And so he went to church on a bet for several weeks until finally he heard the gospel and God broke through to his heart. And he went home that night, and at like 2 a.m. on the bathroom floor, he cried out to God and said, God, if you're real, save me. But you got to deliver me from all of this. And in that moment, that night, God spiritually healed him and physically healed him. And he flushed all of his dope and all of his booze down the toilet and has not touched it again ever since. Miraculous healing. But it had to be both spiritual and physical. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. Sometimes that's what it is. That is the power of Jesus. He can miraculously deliver us from any illness. And so the second thing you need to see here is that Jesus has power to dismiss illness in my life. He does. He has that power and authority to do that for you. Whether it's physical, whether it's spiritual, whether it's a combination, Jesus has the power to heal you. Here's how it works. First, you have to believe. You have to believe in faith that he is God and that he has the power to do this. If you don't have faith to believe, you'll never experience healing. Secondly, you have to ask. You have to ask Jesus to move in power. Remember, it's not your power. It's not the doctor's power. It's not my power as a pastor. It's Jesus' power. You have to ask him to do the healing. And then thirdly, this is maybe the hardest one. You have to trust. You have to trust his type and his timing when it comes to healing. If we really believe that he is God, if our faith is true, that he is God, that he is in control, then we have to trust whatever his decision is when it comes to healing. Sometimes he heals immediately. Sometimes he doesn't heal until eternity. But every time, if you seek him in your illness, you will experience the power of God in your heart and in your life, one way or another. Jesus heals. There's one more piece to the story there. Look at verse 42. It says, When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Number three, when Jesus speaks, hearts are delivered. When Jesus speaks, hearts are delivered. It says here that he went off to a desolate place. Now, in Mark, the book of Mark, it has this, the same story there, but Mark tells us he went off to a desolate place specifically to pray. Okay? And we're going to see that with Jesus multiple times throughout the book of Luke. Like, he goes and gets alone to pray and to seek after God, especially when crowds are kind of coming for him. He wants to get alone because he has to, to remind his heart and to fend off the temptation of kind of this, this self-glory, this self-fame, this self-attention that people are wanting to give to him. He's guarding his heart against that as he prays and he seeks God and seeks the glory of God in his ministry. Because the people come up and they're like, hey, just stay with us, right? Like, like, we just want you to stay here with us in this place and you can, like, we'll worship you and there'll be a great thing. And, and he says, no, 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 I, I, gotta, I gotta go. Which is a really interesting, like, comparison to last week. Remember the people in Nazareth, they're like, uh, get out or we're gonna kill you, right? These people are like, no, no, stay, stay. 
But Jesus says this. Look what he says. I must preach. I must. In the Greek there, the must is what we call the divine imperative, meaning it's a direct command from God. Jesus is saying, God told me I must preach the good news. That was his purpose, to preach the gospel, which is really good news for all of us because we desperately need it. We're all sinners. We all have rebelled against God, disobeyed his word, went our own way, and we deserve his wrath. We deserve it. We deserve to be punished, and we deserve to be sent to hell for disobeying the holy God of the universe. And yet, in his great love for us, he made a way for us to be forgiven. He sent his only son, Jesus, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, to go around preaching the good news of faith and salvation, and then to go to the cross and willingly give his life to pay the debt of sin that we owed, the death that we deserved. He put it on himself, and he died in our place, and he went into the grave. And then three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to say, if you will just believe, do just repent of your sin and believe in me, you can be saved. That's the good news, right? And this was Jesus' primary mission was to preach the good news to everyone, to proclaim you can have spiritual healing, you can have eternal life if you'll just believe. It says also here that he preached the kingdom of God, which is going to become a major theme in the book of Luke. We're going to trace this as we go through the book, right? And the kingdom of God here, it means not like a territory, not, like, not a kingdom like, you know, like, a, like a place, but rather a rule or a reign of God. That God is in control, that he is ruling over all the earth. And Jesus is going to teach us that this kingdom of God, this rule of God, it started with Jesus' appearing. It's already here. But it is not yet complete until Jesus' return in glory. And so we say that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. Meaning it's already present, but it's not yet complete. That's still coming. And so we live in the in-between, right? Waiting for this final kingdom to come and to reign and to get rid of sin and to get rid of pain and sickness and all the things that Jesus has authority over. That day's coming. But until then, Jesus says, I must preach this to other towns as well. And he continued preaching in the synagogues. This was Jesus' primary mission, to preach the gospel. And he gave the same charge to his followers when he left. Right? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to preserve all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you, he says, always. So keep preaching the gospel to all nations, all towns, all peoples. Jesus isn't done until the gospel has reached everyone, and then he can return. And so we have to keep preaching the gospel for him, and he's going to be preaching the gospel through us and through his word until he returns. This is the job of the church. 
Jesus has the power to deliver our hearts through his word. The power comes through the word of God. That was his primary mission, and now that is our primary mission, is to preach the gospel. Listen, church, please hear me today, because this is, we're missing this today in American church world. Our primary mission is not to serve. It's not to help. It's not to do all these extra things. Those are good, but they're not enough. The primary mission is to preach the gospel. Should we still help people? Yes. Should we still love people? Absolutely. Should we still serve people? Absolutely. But that is secondary. It's not primary. We do all of those things. We serve, and Jesus served in order to further the mission of preaching the gospel. If it's serving without the gospel, that has nothing to do with Jesus. Spiritual deliverance through speaking the gospel is the mission. And Jesus is still doing that through us, through the church, through his word. And so we see again, Jesus speaks with authority over every aspect of my life. No matter what you're facing today, Jesus speaks to it. If you're struggling with evil and sin that's infected your heart and infected your life, Jesus has authority over that. If you're struggling with illness, right, that is ravaging your body and attacking your mind, Jesus has authority over that. If you're dealing with brokenness and lostness and spiritual blindness in the world, Jesus definitely has authority over that. And if we will ask him, he will speak powerfully in all of those areas of our lives. ask trust and you will experience the power of Jesus the authority of Jesus over every aspect of your life stay with me let's pray Heavenly Father we come to you now we thank you Lord for speaking to us this morning Lord we recognize Lord your power is unmatched Your authority is above all else. No evil, no illness, no sin can stand against you, stand against your power and your authority in our lives. Lord, thank you. Thank you, God, for fighting for us, for delivering us when we seek you. Help us to turn to you in faith. Help us to trust you, to fight for us, to deliver us. Help us to trust in your power, Lord, when we can't fight for ourselves. We believe and we ask in the name of Jesus.